Thank you everyone for coming to this retreat. Each person's practice helps support everyone else's practice. We're not practicing alone. We can't do this practice alone. We have to do it in the context of Sangha and with the support of Sangha. This is the vows session for 2024. Here at the monastery, we often hear talk about vows. We chant the four bodhisattva vows after each Dharma talk. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. The vow to free others from suffering. Dai Zenji's vow for awakening. Not, not to seek the truth outside of ourselves and to be unattached to all thoughts that we may reach the perfectly clear, bright mind and have immediate enlightenment. The vow to reach a clear, bright mind and become enlightened. We chant Tori Zenji's Bodhisattva vow for awakening. How much more should we be kind and merciful towards human beings, even those who are foolish? Though they become our sworn enemies, reviling and persecuting us, we should regard them as bodhisattva manifestations, who in their great compassion are employing skillful means to help emancipate us from the twisted karma we have produced over countless kalpas through our biased, self-centered views. To regard everyone as a bodhisattva, who is helping us to awaken. Shantideva's way of the Bodhisattva, which contains vows like, may I become doctor, nurse, and medicine for sick beings in the world, to be able to help relieve the suffering of beings. And the Dalai Lama's vow, for as long as space endures, for as long as living beings remain, So then may I too abide to dispel the misery of the world. The vow to dispel the misery of the world, beginning with the world in here, in here. The world that we have some influence over through our practice. The world that can spread misery to others. This monastery is named for the great vow of Jizo Bodhisattva. Myoyu reminded me today when we were talking about this session that something that happens often at the monastery, we take for granted that people know things that we've been talking about for years. And it's often not true. Especially new people come, come to retreat, come into residency. And a term like life vows could be unclear. What exactly is meant by it? So that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. So the great vow of Jizo Bodhisattva in the Sutra of the Past Vows of Earth or Bodhisattva, Jizo Bodhisattva, occurs at the time of the Buddha's death. And we have a ceremony on the 24th or 25th of every month to honor that that occurrence, and to honor Jizo Bodhisattva. And so at the time of his death, the 
Buddha ascended into heaven and gave his last sermon. And he, he did that in order to give a sermon to his mother, who had died shortly after his birth. He was raised by his aunt, Mahapajapati. And when the news spread that the Buddha was giving his last sermon before he died, then all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas from all the different realms of existence, that's a mind stretcher to open your awareness to the fact that there could be many, many, many realms of existence that we are unaware of. And so we get closed down in misery in our own realm here, not realizing that we can ask for help from beings in other realms. So the Buddha gave his last sermon, and then I'm going to read from the sutra. At the time of his death, the Buddha said, I have worked hard for many kalpas to liberate obstinate living beings. That's us, obstinate living beings. Those who have not yet understood the Dharma will surely fall into states of suffering. Kshitigarbha Bodhisattva, Jizo Bodhisattva, the earth store Bodhisattva, said, Even if their good deeds are as little as a hair, a drop of water, a grain of sand, a mote of dust, or a bit of down, I shall gradually help living beings to liberation. World-honored one, speaking to the Buddha, do not feel distressed over beings and generations to come. He repeated this vow three times. Shakyamuni Buddha was delighted and said, My blessings, I appreciate your strong vows and praise you for your efforts to heal the human world. When you fulfill this great vow, after many kalpas, you will become a Buddha. To heal the human world. Obstinate living beings, we got to see in our workshop with um, the work of Byron Katie how obstinate fixed beliefs can be, even fixed beliefs that um, cause us a great deal of misery. And what a relief it is to let them go. So each of us has a place in this world to relieve some kind of suffering, to pick up the vow of Jizo Bodhisattva, to live the ongoing life of Jizo Bodhisattva, of Kshitigarbha Bodhisattva, and manifest it here or wherever our place of work is. So this great vow of Jizo Bodhisattva, the, the vow expanded is to continue to go into the hell realms where people are stuck and can't move themselves out of that realm and to help guide them to the next realm, a realm of lesser suffering and eventually up to enlightenment. And Jizo Bodhisattva vowed to do this until all the hells are emptied. So one person called this a vow without a wristwatch, an endless vow. A vow without a calendar. Oh, I'll be finished with this vow in uh, 2006, Wednesday, 10 o'clock. 
No time or date for completion, just an ongoing vow. And we ourselves have been picked up by that vow and are carried along by that vow to do whatever we can. So what are vows? Other words that could be used, because vow sounds like such a heavy word. We use it usually only for marriage vows. Other words, other words that we could use are not quite adequate for what we're talking about. Promises, we all make promises. Often we break promises quite easily. For any reason, we get too busy or many reasons. Intentions, intentions is too soft, too easily, too easy to be deflected from our intention. We all know that when you go on online and you decide, okay, I'm going to read about this topic because I need to know about it for my work or to give a talk or I just want to delve deeper into it. And an hour later, where are you? Off in YouTube videos. So intention isn't strong enough because it's too easily deflected, especially with the media that we have at our hands, fingertips. Another uh, synonym is oath, but oath has a kind of medieval military flavor to it. You get like pictures of Vikings with helmets. Other synonyms are mission, mission. So that's a, that's a whole world of mission and mission statements. Uh, or a vision for our life. To look forward into our life. What is our vision for our life and where we would like to be and how we would like to work in the world. The words goals and striving are interesting terms. They're actually used in a very sizable and growing body of literature in the field of psychology where studies show the physical and emotional benefits of having a clear set of vows, particularly vows with a spiritual basis. So it's nice to know that our study of vows and taking up life vows could benefit us physically and Mentally, I like to use the term deep life purpose. And Hogan coined this lovely term, your heart's deepest aspiration. I like to think of vows as a channel. You know, if we take um, the energy of anything, a river, for example, electricity, and we can channel it. We can do amazing things with it. And the same is true of our life energy. If we find a way to channel it on purpose, package the energy of our life, aim it in a clear direction, and propel it through space and time, just as the vow we've picked up from Jizo Bodhisattva, amazing things can happen. This monastery is, is an example arising from our teacher's vows, passed on to us, passed on to other people here, and so on. People come and they say, whoa, you, this is amazing. I, I have students that are 
in Europe or have never been here, mindful eating students, for example, or people I've known elsewhere, and they, they come to the monastery. This happened just a few months ago. Uh, this woman from Germany came to visit, and she was walking around. She kept saying, I knew you lived in a monastery, but I had no idea what you were talking about. Everywhere we would go, she just was amazed. But you know, it, it do, it's not something that Hogan and I take personally. It's a vow, and we're just the channel for that vow. And if we can keep true to that vow and keep our minds and hearts clear, then the vow grows. And other people pick up the vow. Just as when we take the precepts, when we become confused or face difficulties in life, we can go to the precepts for guidance. So in the same way, a vow helps us return to clarity when we get overwhelmed by things that seem to be huge obstacles or sudden changes in our life course. And it doesn't unfold, our life doesn't unfold in the way we expect it like we expected 29 people to come from outside the monastery to this retreat. And then suddenly we get change in weather, and many people can't come. But fortunately, we, they can attend online. And then we're going to have another ice storm. We'll see what happens with the power lines and so on. Big changes in our lives all of a sudden. For me, whenever I begin to notice that the internal climate is, is uh, turning downwards, when I start to feel fuzzy-minded or grouchy, I remember to silently say my vows, and my mind clears right away. It's amazing. When we were first working on vows here, I used to say them every day at the beginning of, silently, at the beginning of morning meditation. And then gradually, I don't say them as much, but I, there's a signal in my heart-mind, ah, time to say my vows. And sometimes on days off, when I can sleep, sleep in a little bit later and wake up and just lie in bed, I say my vows. It really helps to give direction and clarity to the day's activities. This Sunday, I talked about practicing to change the inner climate. And some of the examples are a smile, like we did this morning, or remembering something funny, or sliding down the driveway on a sled. All of those things can dispel irritability, and we need to know many ways to dispel our internal irritability, to discover it, to detect it, and then to dispel it. Walking in nature, many, many ways. Each person has different ways. Going for a run going for a bicycle ride. So we can change the inner climate. And we can also change the inner climate by giving voice to our vows internally. Examples of obstacles or sudden changes in, in our life course that can arise, and you all know examples from your own life, but some examples are a breakup or a divorce, especially if unexpected, being fired or laid off from a job or a company that we were involved with failing, 
a pandemic is a good example we all have recently seen, or chronic illness, or the infirmities of old age, either in us or our partner or our parents, an accident that causes permanent damage to our body or our brain, being diagnosed with a chronic or fatal illness, or the death of an important person in our life. These changes, especially when they happen suddenly, can really knock us off course. But that's the time when we need to remember our vows. Drastic life changes might alter the means we use to carry out the vow. And this is a very important distinction that we'll be emphasizing in the next few days. It's easy to mistake the means for the vow. But when there are drastic life changes, that might alter the means we use to carry out the vow. But the vow, our fundamental life purpose, our heart's aspiration, can still support us and support other people even if the means to carry out that vow needs to be adjusted. It's so easy to live a life overwhelmed by changing circumstances, by the winds of karma. Often people who are just out of college or have just retired need help with finding or modifying their life vows. So you can emerge from college with a degree, but then you have to find a job to pay for rent and food, but then you need a car to get to work, but then you need a second job to pay for gas, car payments, and insurance, and snow tires. And time speeds by, and you're very, very busy, and you reach retirement age, and you look back and think, how did I get knocked off course? Or you reach retirement age You reach retirement through age or disability, and suddenly you lose your sense of purpose in life. Vows can work like a compass, or these days GPS, helping you to course correct. So you don't start to drive out to Montana and end up in a few months in Arkansas. So I love GPS. I love the voice of GPS. Turn right at the next stoplight. And if you don't do that, it finds a new course for you. Go one more block and turn right, and then right again. Notice that the inner critic is not involved in GPS. Right? It's not involved in course correction. So we have to take a lesson from how they design GPS. It doesn't say, you idiot, I told you to turn right at the next stoplight. Why can't you follow simple instructions? Now I have to recalculate. So the GPS voice is a model for a kind, patient inner voice that just keeps assessing where we are, assessing where we want to be, and making course corrections even when we wander off the recommended path. So vows are not fixed in stone. They can be updated or modified according to life circumstances, just like GPS does. It's more often the means that changes, 
to meet changing conditions, but not the underlying intention or vow. That may be modified some. You may want to add to it or change it some. But more often it's the means that change. An example is my brother-in-law, who for decades served as a dean and then an instructor outside the university in courses to help students pass national exams, such as the SATs, or exams for entrance into medical school or law school. Then finally, he served for a number of years as vice president at the University of Oregon. And when he retired, as many people are, he was a bit at loose ends because he had been busy for so many years. He was actually a dean at UC Santa Cruz, or he was a student at UC Santa Cruz, that's right. And and he participated in a lot of the protests that happened at UC Santa Cruz uh, decades ago. Um, So that when he was dean at U of O, when there were student protests and the students were barging into his office with angry demands, he invited them in to have coffee or tea and sit down and have a chat because he'd been on the other side. So he knew how to work with this situation. So there are a lot of things that happen to us in life. Difficult, maybe even more so, that help us know how to work with someone else. So he was at loose ends until he joined a group in Eugene that was building tiny houses in what eventually became a small village specifically for unhoused women and their children and had a bathhouse and a laundry and so on. Kitchens. So can you discern his vow? So the means were serving as a dean, serving as an instructor to help people pass national exams, vice president, building tiny houses, His underlying vow was to help people overcome obstacles that prevented them from carrying out their vows. You see, it's a very interesting lens to look through. What is this person's vow? And what is their means? When I studied vows, I discovered that there are several types. There are myriad mini-vows that weave the fabric of your life. So when you begin to look at vows, you realize this this podium came from a mini-vow. There was a need for a podium, and I think Hogan built this one. And this cloth also came from a mini-vow as a student who was a Zen student for many years and also an amazing seamstress. And this is the endless knot. And she made this for me, I don't know, 30 years ago, maybe more. Tie-dyed the material and so on. So even this, everything, this this is a result of many people's vows to create a clock that can be easily seen and changed and so on. So thank you, Val. And the microphone, everything. This, this floor was, we, we wouldn't have this floor without the intention, the hard work of a person who laid floors and did this, helped us do this for free. 
So there are myriad mini-vows that make up the fabric of our life, like learning to play a sport. Maybe you decide, I want to learn to play a sport. Like my grandchildren, you know, they play softball in the summer and volleyball in the winter. And that's part of their, the, a vow in their life, to go to practice, and when they don't feel like it, and so on. Or maybe you became an Eagle Scout, and you actually took Scout vows, or 4-H, or to learn to trade, or to finish college, or to come to Sashin, or to raise your children to be kind people who help other people. Those we would call mini-vows. There are also inherited vows, like taking over your family business, or learning to meditate because you can see the beneficial effect on your parents, or your parents tell you it's having a beneficial effect on them. Then there are inspired vows. So like a former resident who grew up in a very poor immigrant family in New York City, and when they became sick as a child, the family had no money to go to a doctor. But the church that they belonged to, Christian church they belonged to, had a free clinic. So they went to that free clinic, and the relief of pain that this person had at age eight inspired them to become a doctor. And they did that, overcoming all kinds of obstacles. There are also reactive vows. Growing up with alcoholic parents who become abusive when they're drinking might make you vow never to drink. There is a danger that a reactive vow, however, can become an overreactive vow. So we have to watch vows that become overreactive. For example, I'll read a little bit from the vows book. Children are more perceptive than adults realize, and they often observe that their parents' strategies for happiness did not work well. Reactive vows can ricochet through many generations. For example, a child raised by a military father who is precise, strict, authoritarian, and conservative may become a hippie. The hippie's child, tired of dirty clothing, living out of a van, and not having predictable meals, may decide to become an accountant who lives in the same house for 40 years and hoards food, toilet paper, and paper clips. The accountant's child becomes a rock musician perpetually on tour. The musician's child, a button-up stockbroker, and so on. Back and forth, reactive vows. We see suffering in our family of origin, and we react against it, sometimes for good and sometimes overreacting. It is important to identify any reactive vows we have made, which we will be doing this week, so we can examine them for traces of overreaction, extra energy that can keep the ball of cause and effect bouncing back and forth generation after generation. So this afternoon, after Kinhin, we will divide into small groups and begin to work on answering questions that may help illuminate aspects of vows, hidden or overt, in our lives. So we'll be, we'll be breaking out into small groups, and there'll be um, a facilitator who will help, 
and very specific instructions and questions to answer, and then each person can uh, relate their experience with the questions that are asked. And through that, you can begin to ponder and look deeper into the fabric of vows that's woven your life. And are there reactive vows, overreactive vows, inspired vows? So this monastery is the result of inspired vows. In our Kaisando, we have pictures of the people who inspired us to have a vow to create a monastery. So that vow, their vow, and their parent, their Dharma parents' vows, our Dharma grandparents, and so on, is living right here through all of you in this floor with these lights, with these musical instruments, with your chanting, with your sincere meditation practice. So I don't want to talk for too long because I want to make sure we have time to begin the the groups. But just to say that we are unbelievably fortunate, all of us, to be able to pause for this many days clear our heart minds, to assess our life journey so far, and to set a future direction that can grow from our heart's true aspiration. And then to decide what do we need to do, where do we need to be, where do we need to live, and what kind of setting or community do we need to live or have associations with, What do we need to study? What skills do we need to develop in order to realize our heart's true aspiration? Thank you for joining in this very auspicious endeavor.